Alright guys, um, welcome back to another episode of uh, Quarantine Diary. This is Kevin. Um, today I want to finish our discussion on innovation essentials. Uh, I believe we covered three bullet points yesterday. I jotted down seven total, so we'll see how far we can get. So let's dive right into it. Um, so first of all, um, the fourth point, right, is that innovation is a team sport. Um, it does require collaboration. Um, let's say if you are using, let's say, a pencil, right? You're gonna have somebody that do the wood, uh, and do the wooden part, right? Like for probably some lumberjack. You're gonna have transportation. You're gonna have truck driver. You're gonna have uh, pencil factory worker, and you're gonna have somebody that made the graphite, right? The lead inside of the pencil, and you're gonna have a lot of people just getting involved making that pencil, right? Same thing with electronics, right? Your iPhone, your iPad, your computer, same thing. So innovation is never really a individual sport. Um, and number five is that innovation prefer fragmented governance. I think this one I want to spend a little bit more time on because I think this part is interesting. Um, because one would think that if you want to promote innovation, you need a strong united government that are rich in resources and you can support uh, innovation. And actually, um, as uh, Matt really give us a few examples, it's actually not the case, right? So an example that he used, I think are really interesting is uh, printing, right? So Chinese people, we invented printing, uh, you know, thousands of years ago, and it only spread to Europe um, I want to say a long time after, maybe uh, 30, 40, maybe 100 years after. The reason for, excuse me, the reason for printing to cut on so quickly in China is because it was during the uh, spring and autumn uh, fighting periods, right? Where there's fragmented government, right? There's a little uh, kingdom over another little kingdom. So with a government that is small or with uh, unstable times, what's happening is that innovation are spread much quickly because they have, no, they have nothing to lose, right? And then um, in a sense that um, the leader of the kingdom or the leader of the clan has to be adaptive in a way that for them to survive, right? Like if they just kick up their feet and say, yeah, I'm good here and they're gonna get conquered, you know, pretty uh, pretty soon. So in that thing, in, uh, in that theory that um, those people are really get used to the mindset of, okay, I need to try new things. I need to do trial and error for more situations. So innovation really prefers more fragmented governance, right? Let's go back to the printing example. It spread through China during the warring state really, really quickly. And then what happened was it didn't really catch on to the European country until way later. And Matt really believed that the reason for that is because European countries adopted it only if they are fragmented, right? Like, for example, the Ottoman Empire that was during the same period, they banned printing for nearly three centuries. Right, so with a more advanced, quote unquote advanced, with a more, uh, I want to say self righteous um, 
government, what's going to happen is they think that they know more than other countries or some faraway technology. So they actually inhibit or they don't pay that much attention or emphasis or focus on innovation, right? Um, same thing with the same similar time period with uh, Istanbul is the same thing. And they just probably don't even need to see the change, don't even see the need to change. They don't see how this can better their life because their life is already good enough, right? So that is actually interesting um, to see how innovation prefers, you know, quote unquote, small government, if you would. Um, number six is that innovation is not necessarily good or useful. That is very, very true because it's so easy for us to rest on um, like the good example, right? Like cell phone, right? Um, or a computer or internet, right? Like car, electric car, solar panels. Like those things are good and useful, right? That provide us with utility. But let's say um, back in the World War II, right? Like the poison gas that was uh, invented to, you know, uh, get rid of the Drew population. That is not useful, but that is uh, innovation, right? Or we call it like the tear gas, right? Is it useful? Eh, maybe, but it doesn't really benefit us, right? Let's say the Mars rover, right? China just sent up another Mars uh, rover thing, Mars satellite, like a week ago. Uh, is that useful? Probably not for us, right? It's probably useful for the uh, space department within the Chinese government, but um, probably not useful for everyday people in China, right? So innovation is not necessarily good or useful, but if the implication got implied correctly, they could be, right? So for example, without a space program back in the US, back in the 60s, we wouldn't have GPS, we wouldn't have satellite, we wouldn't have microwave, I believe, right? So there might not be a direct correlation of, oh, this is innovation being good or useful, but it does really offers an insight into, okay, uh, we need to accept that, you know, things are probably not good or useful in the beginning. Now, number seven is uh, big companies are bad at innovation, right? Uh, I can give you countless of example of the, let's say, Apple or let's say IBM or BlackBerry um, because <clears throat> outsiders prefer innovation because they need to figure out a way to crack the market leader. They need to figure out a way to crack the big company, right? Like <clears throat> in technology, right? Like we can trace it back through modern computing or, you know, through cell phone. IBM was running the game back in the 50s and then they got blindsided by Microsoft, then by Google, then by Apple, right? So it's like a chain reaction of what has been going on. And bigger company, they usually have bigger bureaucracy, right? So it's harder for them to get things done and you know, along those lines. That's why I truly believe that Apple, right? Like people say, oh, it's not an innovative company anymore. Um, the reason being is that they lose uh, Steve Jobs, who probably will thrive in a smaller company uh, environment, right? Like the most of the Apple's innovation happens back in when Apple was a small company. And Tim Cook, like I think he's a great CEO, but he lacks the vision. And then 
as Steve Jobs, they really, really reinforce. If you're reading his biography, he really reinforces、uh, a small team, right? He really run the company like a bunch of a small team. We have the Mac team, we have the iPhone team, we have the tablet team. So Tim Cook just doesn't really have that because Tim is a supply chain guy, right?、Uh, the only reason that I got an iPhone SE is because you know he. <laughs> It was a Tim Cook, a Tim Cook, a special meaning that he repurposed the uh, the uh, assembly line, the design, the molding, and then they just put the biggest chip in there, and then you know make a budget phone, right? Like that's why I am I got an iPhone right now that I'm recording this podcast on. So, in a sense that bigger company are bad at innovation, I think there is some truth in that, right?、Um, Everybody can you know like bank on、uh, Apple saying this and this and this, but they are really really trying to do right now. I think it just maximize profit, so you're not seeing that much of a of a you know innovation because they need to have I don't know shareholder accountability right like, and they are probably looking at moving into more of a. Uh, vertical integration, you know, like going deeper than horizontal. So,、um, that's just my view on the Apple company right now.、Um, it's it's okay, you know, like I can probably do like a, like another podcast, you know, onto my experiences with iOS with Apple. But、um, for now, for the sake of the innovation conversation, let's just say that bigger company are typically bad at、uh, innovation just because they have more people to manage, they have more bureaucracy, more hoops to jump through. So in a sense, right, just to cap this conversation off, innovation essentials, it really requires. I think I mentioned it yesterday, a freedom of information flow, ah,、uh, freedom of idea exchange. It really sparks from, ah,、uh, social economic status of a company or a country that is stable but not too stable, right, ah.、Uh, Maybe not of a fragmented you know, a governance, maybe a economy that prefer more more of a free market, right? So, for example, right, like, like another example that I can think of right now, like every single bigger company that we heard of right now, like the tech leaders at、like、Airbnb, Reddit,、um, you know those those、um, those company, they all got started during the Olay and Olay housing crisis for some reason. Right, so whenever people are、uh, living with no options, people innovate. So, in a bigger so- society perspective, right? Like right now, like with the COVID situation, like everybody is scared, everybody is you know suffering from loss of work or loss of income. Right, money is running out for the、uh, for the、uh, supplement.、Um, Maybe we're gonna see a few good companies resolve or get started right now. That we're gonna see them come to fruition within the next year or two. So again, innovation requires freedom of information flow, and then requires a smaller government or smaller regulation, or tougher times. I think those are my biggest takeaway from this book. Anyway,、uh, I'm gonna call it for today.、Um, if you like this podcast, please give us five stars on whatever you listen to podcasts on Apple Podcasts. And、uh, we'll talk with you guys later. Bye.